Hello boys and girls. Welcome to this episode of Seeking Satya podcast where I interview entrepreneurs, artists, musicians, writers, athletes, scientists, doctors and more from eclectic fields in the hopes that we can put aside their superhuman stature and learn from their human abilities like building powerful habits, being curious, unafraid to try new things and much more. Today my guest is Vijay Kant Naradur. He's a co-founder and CEO of stride.ai. His expertise spans the areas of artificial intelligence and natural language understanding. He's also a mentor at Techstars Paris and Bangalore. He has lived in 6 countries and speaks 7 languages. Thanks Vijay for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me here, Madhav. Appreciate it. Cool. Um so originally from India? Yeah, um, originally from Bangalore, India, the Silicon Valley of India. Yes. <laughs> uh could you share a little bit about your growing up in Bangalore? Yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, Bangalore is a hometown. Uh, uh, back in the day, was called Pensioner's Paradise, uh, but not anymore. <laughs> I have seen uh, Bangalore transforming from a, a mid mid-sized town to a very very large city, which it has become today. I mean, uh, uh, you know, the Bangalore uh, which I grew up is very different from what it is today. But uh, I mean, I'm glad it has grown big. I wish it could have been. Uh, it could have retained some of it. soul charm <laughs> i don't know uh, a lot of old timers would say we are missing that but yeah yeah still a great city yeah uh, and so you, all your education growing up k through 12 and college uh, was uh, in your hometown in bangalore that would be correct and, in um how did you uh, get interested in tech i mean was there something in school or some someone in your family or uh, influenced you or I, i think yeah the school uh, was uh, uh, ne- uh, like i mean school uh, naturally is one of the place where we all get motivated then uh, family also like i mean i had one of my cousins who had been to uh, studied at the rutgers university oh. and uh, he was like everybody used to talk about him and he did something with computers and i was like okay you know what that's really cool and he's a great guy so okay. <laughs> that's not a bad thing for you to start doing and that's how i got into tech uh, And yeah, I mean that was the starting point. I would say playing games or what was it that? Uh, I mean, I I will probably as a as a as a child I was not cool enough to be solving uh, oh. <laughs> great problems per se. Uh, yeah, it started with gaming, but then uh, a couple of things, right? You know, uh, got me started on some very simpler things like you know, uh, uh, if you do matrix multiplication by hand, it took so much time. But if you were able to write the logic once. it just reduce your effort i mean that's what i was like you know what i can bear the brunt once but it gives me long lasting results so that's what i probably would say the laziness is what uh, oh laziness <laughs> really interested to solve the problems and then i could solve it once and leverage it many a times oh yeah that's um that's perfect i think people i've talked to a few uh, best friend of mine is also a neurologist and uh, i was talking to him recently um and he was yeah i said like he used to ace all all the classes and uh, pretty cool guy i was like what is the secret and he was like laziness you know it's <laughs> <was> like the <laughs> <laughs> greatest motivator <laughs> uh, awesome uh, and then i i um briefly discovered about your uh, interest in multiple languages and travel different countries so what's that all about uh well uh see i mean i'm not those cool travelers right who wants to go ahead and explore i travel because of necessity uh-huh. so uh I, my life forced me to live in portugal uh, uh it was during an acceleration program called the uh. challenge 
I got to live in Portugal for four months, then uh, Paris for five months, uh, another acceleration program called uh, Numa and uh, Startup Chile. I lived in Santiago, yeah. Chile for six months. And then uh, uh, Holland also, I have had a chance to live in Eindhoven, Holland. And then, um, of course, all over the U.S., right, from Athens, Georgia, to Atlanta, to uh, Lexington, Kentucky, Kansas City, uh, uh, California. I've been very lucky to travel all the uh, to good places, but not more for exploration, more for business or compulsion. Yeah, that's that's been the thing. And mm. in terms of languages, yeah. So uh, growing up in India, I was uh, able to speak multiple languages, like five languages. Yeah, and that was very helpful for me to. Uh, uh, you know, uh, like take some keen interest on what uh, I do currently, which is uh, natural language understanding. Right. And uh, so I kind of like, you know, that, that helped. I spoke five languages. It was helpful. Uh, came from a different part of the uh, uh, country. I mean, lived in all places and had neighbors from various states. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's not very uncommon in India, right? I mean, we pick up right. more than one language very quickly. And then, uh, uh, having lived in both Portugal and Chile, I was uh, uh, I was kind of interested in knowing Roman languages and the fundamentals of grammar. It's it's an Indo-European family of languages, so it's not vastly different from yeah. uh, some of our root languages like Sanskrit. It's not vastly right. different. So objects have certain genders and uh, what you call is, uh, if I may be uh, allowed to use some formal words, it's like sure. a linguistic typography of languages, yeah. not very different. So that that's how I uh, got into languages. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that probably had some influence on your current uh, interest <laughs> in NLP and all that. We'll get into that. But before we jump into the really exciting part of your current uh, life uh, with uh, stride.ai, um, wanted to briefly touch on, so were you entrepreneurial as you grew up? Did or um, you know during college or was this your first venture? Strike. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, if I'm allowed to say that uh, the first entrepreneurial venture when I was in school, uh, we used to have this uh, crazy thing about collecting the photos Pokemon. of movie stars. Oh, uh, just, <laughs> that was our Indian Pokemon. We didn't have uh, access to internet like the kids of today, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, I, I would uh, kind of like you know I used to have a guy who had a printer and he would print for me. Uh, all these uh, various photos and I was able to kind of replicate that and uh, I was a middleman making money there itself so I was like hey you know what one day you know I <laughs> I was shot at making some money <laughs> I mean that was good enough for me to kind of like you know pay off my you know uh, school snacks or whatever you call it so that's how it's uh, I mean if if I'm allowed to say something about the earlier yeah, yeah that's that is super cool I've never heard that um, but I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I've heard of people exchanging Pokemon and game cards and all that, but this is, this is really cool. Uh, so that's how it started. And, uh, so on a serious note, like uh, I never expected to be an entrepreneur as such because I was more uh, inclined uh, left to me. I would have been an academic. I did yeah. spend some time at the university, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't even want to talk about it now. And so what happened is uh, the idea was very concrete uh, in terms of tech. And, and the use cases that we found where this could really be a game changer, um, especially talking more specifically about uh, what people are trying to do with AI. So there is one cool element of uh, a robot talking to you and shaking hands. That's one yeah. part of it. The other part of it is the boring part, right? I mean, no one wants to read hundreds of pages. So, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, when you automate something like uh, reading hundreds of pages of contract and what people consume two uh, in two hours, 
can be consumed in 10 minutes or less is much more productive in terms of operations as opposed to a robot coming and shaking hands. So I, I felt uh, this is something aligned with my personal uh, goal. Got it. And that's how we got started in this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, cool. Uh, before I jump into the stride, I want to touch on briefly. I've, I think you started something, if I'm not mistaken, called Tatyonem. Is that Tatyonem, right? That would be correct. Uh, yeah, that was a. Could you share a little bit about that story? Yeah, what was yeah, yeah, yeah. So, any lessons uh, from that? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let me uh, tell you what happened is. So I, uh, uh, I had a job waiting for me in California uh, when I graduated from Kentucky. And uh, my, my team, uh, my, my current co-founder and uh, another friend of mine were like, oh, you should move back and spend some time in India and see like, if you can, can start something on your own. And uh, that was uh, one of the starting points. So I moved back and we just wanted to start something, but not sure what it was. So, <laughs> you know, that's the crazy phase of life, right? So uh, one of the things which was clear was like, you know what, let's have something concrete and uh, maybe in future that will work. Um, but for the time being, we need to make money. So we, we started a, a, a data science and AI consulting uh, platform wherein we were able to uh, grab a bunch of corporates on the platform so that we could do training. But again, that was not scalable because we were doing it in-person training. Yep. And, and, and companies are not very receptive to uh, automating the training part of it. Or, I mean, just the video tutorials because they want to have that in-person experience. So because I had taught at the universities, it was an interesting job for me to kind of do it. And actually, that, was, uh, that is where I learned a lot about how companies operate, how the corporations work. Um, I was able to enter some of the biggest corporations in India and around the world uh, because of this fact. And that uh, not only gave me the exposure, also gave me the capital to go ahead and uh, uh, take the next bet. And uh, as uh, Tashinim died in early 2015, we had tried oh. born in uh, mid 2015, so that's how it worked. Oh, great, great! Um, what was uh, the single biggest lesson you think that you took away from Tashinim? Uh, the single biggest lesson was uh, uh, so uh, uh, the number one success uh, uh, factor is going to be the product market fit. Your no one cares about your idea. No one cares about how smart you are. You need to stitch a team together and make sure that the product that you're going to build has a market. So unless you do the validation, it might be a poor decision to go ahead and do something like, yeah, I want to be an entrepreneur. It, it's not it, the coolness quotient, which like, you know, people read about, uh, right. you, you please throw it out of the window and uh, uh, get back to the basics. So unless you have the product market fit of some sort, if not a product market fit, I use a term called product market direction, which kind yeah. of gives you a nudge that something is coming. Unless you have those things, please do not ever start a business. So that was my lesson. Awesome. That's a great lesson. Yeah. Um, just uh, maybe sidetrack a little bit, but I, I want to know if there's a background or a context or a backstory to this. Any, any relation to this book called Punishing the Vulnerable? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, that is... <laughs> oh, there is an association. All right. Yeah, that is, that, is, that, is, that is written by my best friend, uh, Dr. Jeremiah Olson, uh, who was a friend, a collaborator on research projects. So Dr. Olson and I went to uh, Kentucky together. He was a PhD student at the uh, political science, public policy and political science department. Uh, he's now a professor at Michigan. He wrote a book. Uh, as, I mean, like, you know, we uh, uh, did some uh, statistical analysis together. We published a paper 
So in which uh, we applied, uh, you know, the AI techniques on very different um, area than what we do currently in our business, in which uh, 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 that was Dr. Uh, Olson's hypothesis on uh, what's the, uh, what are the factors that uh, create, uh, you know, uh, or which prompt uh, a punishment decision within the prison system of the U.S., and uh, uh, if you categorize people as vulnerable based on several factors, and uh, mostly the vulnerables are the ones getting punished. So I was uh, uh, kind of like, you know, I have 0% contribution in that book, but like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I had a sneak peek of that. And Dr. Uh, Olson was gracious enough to dedicate the book to me along with his wife. <laughs> I couldn't do <laughs> <say> anything more. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize uh, there is a connection with and some of your uh, research work as well, actually. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. I think that's a very nice segue into Stride. And I know you started talking about uh, Stride a little bit. Uh, could you share a little bit about how this idea came up and what was the initial vision? Uh-huh. Absolutely. So, uh, so uh, we, uh, I, I, if you are an entrepreneur listening to this, uh, here is the first thing that you want to take away. This is exactly not how you start a company, okay? <laughs> we had a good tech. Uh, it was very academic in nature. Uh, we knew that, that there was application to this, but we didn't know where it was, right? I, I mean, again, the lesson being, unless you have a product market fit, please do not go ahead and start anything. It's, it's, going to, it's not going to work. Unless you're extremely lucky, like uh, it turned out for my team and I, uh, so what happened is the idea was uh, we know uh, some of the tasks are very challenging. So one simple task is summarizing content. Now, if you look at a summary, right, let me try to define what a summary is. Summary is concise, non-redundant way of representing the original content. Uh, I mean, even a 10-year-old could write a summary, right? But what makes a summary very challenging is if three people write summary, none of them are going to write the same summary, right? It's, it's very abstract. So uh, we could, can we use machines to uh, do these kind of tasks or identifying sentiments in complex sentences, complex um, uh, backgrounds? Mm-hmm. So this is where the whole idea came and we had a suite of text analytics products or text analytics algorithms to be more specific, yep. which were able to accomplish these tasks. But then uh, our um, product market uh, direction was in banking and we had some data sets for banks, uh, banking and financial services sector. So there was some focus, but the thing didn't really materialize till we started working with a, a, a French bank called Societe Generale uh, during their uh, a Catalyst program in 2016. And that was our first aha moment. We were like, you know what? We're no longer a cute technology startup, but we are an actual uh, a solutions provider or a product company for banking and financial services. And uh, I guess that's how things got started. When you started describing it, it felt like it was a hammer looking for nails. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, but then you switched into, you found some part, product market fit with uh, banking. Yeah. How, how did that leap? Oh boy, that, that's a good one. You, you, you got me on that. So let me tell you one thing. The bad idea was to find a nail. The good idea was to deconstruct the hammer and build different tools for a different problem. <laughs> so, uh, what happened at SoftGen was they, they prompted us to solve some of the problems which we felt were trivial, right? Uh, like information extraction, uh, enterprise KYC, 
we could easily do this uh, just based on the algorithms we had. But the whole idea was um, that would have been, uh, we all were uh, technologically purists, right? Like uh, we were like, oh, aren't we deviating from this? But then the deconstruction was essential for our existence today. <laughs> then we kind of like put things together based on the requirement. It turned out to be simpler than uh, it is. And that's how we kind of figured out. And we uh, got a chance to work with several banks, speak to a number of analysts, right? From the CEO to analysts, we spoke to everybody. And, and unless you know the customer requirement, you cannot build something. So that's how uh, things got started in, a more, in, in more depth. You found something the customers actually said is valuable. You had a technology. It was just you at this point or how did you? No, no. We had about seven of us. Uh, the, the instrumental players were my co-founder, Sendel, our CTO, Pratik, uh, our head of products, uh, Sagar. These guys were instrumental. I mean, they, they were able to wear the needed hats to uh, talk to the people, uh, learn about it and kind of like, you know, evolve. And then mm -hmm. it was about applications, right? We knew the, um, after almost working uh, with several banks for about a year, we pretty much got to a point wherein we had an equal blend of uh, tech understanding as well as the banking understanding about what banks really wanted. At one point, uh, we've been very lucky to even prescribe to banks like, this is how you should be approaching a problem because that is when it'll make more sense. So uh, it took time to get to that level. It didn't happen overnight. It took us a year and a half. But then uh, we also uh, got a lot of mentorship from various bankers, and that was extremely valuable. I see. Uh, so if you had to put this sort of like uh, in a layman terms, how AI is being applied by you guys to help bankers or banking companies, uh, uh -huh. how would you describe that? So let's, let's begin with the definition of AI. AI is a machine's ability to mimic human intelligence. Now, human intelligence comprises of various components, uh, ability to deduce, ability to reason, ability to infer, uh, ability to extrapolate. So if you give machines these abilities, what could banks do? For us, banks are spending way too much time and money on some of the very necessary processes like compliance, regulations, operations on a day-to-day -day basis reading heaps of documents. Uh, I mean, think about mm -hmm. a, a bank spending two hours reading a contract, another one hour doing the QC, three hours. That's a valuable time. And if they were to do it maybe a thousand times or 10,000 times a month, they're spending a lot of man hours. What if we could automate that in order to bring that time down from three hours to let's say 30 minutes, massive mm -hmm. productivity gain, operational productivity gain, so our systems or our technology is essentially directed to make uh, banks operationally more productive, um, intelligent, consistent, and reliable. So uh, any back office work for any large bank or any process that deals with what we call as cognitive abilities, ability to reason, ability to infer, ability to decide, we come in and automate that particular part using AI. Okay, excellent. Cool, cool. I think that that helps a lot. Um, and then the, the team that you mentioned, the seven people, uh -huh. uh, could you share how you actually went about bringing the seven people together? <laughs> Was that yeah, so my buddies from school? <laughs> my co-founder, Sandy, and I have been buddies from school. So we have known each other for 19 years. Uh, so we pretty much put up with each other. <laughs> we know uh, a lot of things about each other. So yeah, that's how it was easy. 
uh, 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 Sagar and Pratik were amongst uh, my uh, interns. When I moved back to India, I kept in touch with the academic world. And I, uh, uh, during my nine um, to 12 months of uh, stint in India, I was able to keep uh, in touch with the academic world. And uh, these people really helped me uh, implement some of my crazy ideas. And it all became part of their academic projects. And not only that, and uh, these people were all, they all had lucrative jobs, right? I mean, uh, some of them got hired by like, you know, uh, Citrix, Microsoft, uh, big retailers, big banks. And believe it or not, just one phone call from me when things got serious and they were like, okay, it's about when we are quitting. That's it. It's not about yeah. uh, are we quitting or not? Not even a word asked. And, and, and especially uh, Pratik and Sagar. Uh, Pratik, didn't even join uh, the company which he had lucrative offers from. He, uh, it was, he was under tremendous pressure because, you know, all his peers were going for cool, big, yeah. large companies. And here is a guy working uh, as a tech lead. And then, and then we were interviewing a bunch of people who could be our CTO because I didn't want to do tech anymore. I was focusing more on the business. But we felt he was the most suitable guy to be the CTO, though he was very, very young, like at 22. Uh, but we felt he was the most uh, suitable person, and that's how uh, we brought him in as a CTO. Any lessons or stories from that, like how you build a team and the, the uh, yeah, like yeah. The... how you build a team, right? I mean, so if you are going to build a team purely based on skills, uh, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. Mm. Look for a cultural fit. Look for people who trust you. I mean, uh, the more human elements you focus on, the better it is for you in the longer run. The, obviously, that is followed by naturally. I mean, they need to have skills, right? I mean, uh, and they need to have the basic attitude and the intellect. I yeah. guess uh, don't blindly focus on, oh, this person knows Python, this person knows Angular. Don't do that. But if, can this person stick around with me for long term? Will this person stick around with me during the thick and thin? I mean, I guess that's how you build at least the first 10 people. Your job as a CEO will be handpicking them and building and kind of embodying the culture, right? I mean, you need to represent the company with the culture that you believe is sustainable. And then uh, it, it still doesn't become a self-driving machine, but then you have these 10 representatives who could further guide 10 more. And so even until you reach a hundred number, you could still retain the yeah. culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On that note of culture, how do you think about culture? I mean, you think it's something you, like a mission statement and it comes I mean, top down or bottom up or uh, just... I guess you know, all that would be a little uh, anecdotal, but for me, uh, the true sense of culture is, um, uh, if I may explain in a very simple terms, is like a place where people feel comfortable, passionate, and responsible for their work, right? Yeah. I mean, they don't need to be monitored. They don't need to be uh, kind of forced to work. They enjoy the work, and also they do things uh, voluntarily. Yeah. Yeah, the ownership, the, yeah. Uh, the freedom. So it's a reward and risk both, right? I mean, uh, they need to know, like, if they're going to work hard, the rewards are going to be a direct a product of their hard work. So they need to feel appreciated. They need to feel comfortable. They need to feel safe working at a place. I guess all these uh, are the components that drive the core of the culture. And again, then you have more uh, interesting definition. Like, is it like a party hard culture? Uh, kind yeah. of, we do party hard a little bit. <laughs> like, yeah, we don't force people to party hard. We, we give it, we, it's, it's an optional thing. It's an option. Normally, 99% people pick the party. People take the market. option. <laughs> uh, do you think that you have a product market fit or a direction right now? Or do you think you're still 
I, I mean, like, yeah, we've been in business for over four years and we work with some of the biggest banks in the world. Uh, yeah, it would be safe to say we have a product market fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, maybe uh, it was uh, uh, until 2018 that wasn't the case, but now it is because uh, based on where we stand in terms of our revenue, in terms of where we are, unless we screw up for the next three more years consistently, <laughs> we will not run out of business. That's a, that's a good way to define product market fit. Like three years, you don't, you screw up, only then you go out of business, right? Like, I yep. mean, so uh, in that terms, like, yeah, uh, we have uh, the necessary revenue streams covered. Uh, we have the uh, we have contracts which are being uh, run on three to five year basis. So uh, we are fairly secure and hence uh, it would be okay to say that we do have our market fit. No, that's congratulations. That's that's uh, one of the toughest things uh, for a startup for sure. <laughs> it, it, it uh, takes, but but thing is, uh, it takes a lot longer, right? I mean, we started in 2015 and uh, maybe 2018 towards the end, we could make this claim. So it's not like an overnight success. It's, it's, I mean, selling into banks, you probably know how hard it is, right? I mean, yeah. uh, the sales cycle cycles. is long. And then the, 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 you have to fit the, I mean, you, you need to have the resilience. You need to have, uh, I mean, like, unless you are strong enough, you can't deal with it. Uh, there are bureaucratic delays. So you, ha- you need to account for all these things. And in, during this time, I mean, it must have been tough to, for several reasons. I mean, like you mentioned, your friends are all doing well with, you know, six, seven figure incomes and whatnot and big homes and cool cars or whatever. Yeah. Here you are like living out of a suitcase, <laughs> <laughs> right? Living out of a suitcase. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, uh, what goes through your mind? I mean, how do you handle some of that pressure? I, I mean, uh, see, uh, I, I feel it's about uh, feeling comfortable with your choices. Uh, I mean, let me ask uh, it this way. Like, you know, um, uh, again, this is not uh, just an ego booster to feel better. But uh, all, uh, I mean, I have several friends who are doing phenomenally well. I'm really, really proud of that. Uh, uh, I do not want to trade my life for them, but uh, there are a few people who could trade their life for mine. So I, I'm feeling good about that, right? I mean, <laughs> because it's an individual choice and you feel good, right? I mean, uh, and also, I also have one more safety net, I feel, at some level, because the worst case scenarios for your life as an entrepreneur who has had some degree of exposure and experience is that even if things don't work, you, you will end up with a fancy job in a good company. So uh, that's the worst case scenario. I mean, and that's the best case scenario. That's better for than the best people, case right? scenario for many. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, extremely lucky to be in this position. So, yeah. Vijay, I mean, so what is the, it looks like you have a PMF and you have, uh, you know, customers in place. What's the business model that you think is actually um, working for you right now? So for us, the business model is simple, right? So uh, we uh, do, so um, we work with banks, very traditional, hundred and fifty year old, hundred year old banks, right? So these are not your. It's not like downloading a cool app and feeling good about it. Uh, we need to build, deploy it on prem. So typical business model that has worked very well for us is. Uh, there's a small one-time implementation fees, uh, and then there's an annual recurring license which, for which the banks pay. Uh, if they pay a premium license, they, they get support and maintenance. If they go for basic license, they don't get support and maintenance. Huh. So it's a very classic uh, business model, which uh, I don't see uh, it going to be very different from 
any other large enterprise company. But again, we are in a very conservative regulated sector. Uh, the scope for innovation or rather experimentation is a little less. We've seen some banks comfortable in terms of going on cloud, but that's like handful, uh, maybe uh, one or two use cases. So mostly okay. it's like a typical enterprise B2B software when you pay annual license, one-time implementation, support and maintenance. Like Interesting. That. It's very similar to, I worked in a healthcare company for a few years. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and there's a lot of regulation and HIPAA and compliance. And yeah, yeah. Uh, um, if I may ask, so you probably are, of course, starting out with finance, but there seems to be some uh, nice uh, overlaps with problems in healthcare and other spaces too. Is that right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There are a few sp- uh, uh, places, we, uh, a few areas that we think uh, are going to be useful, like legal or, yeah. uh, you know, insurance, healthcare. So uh, uh, well, uh, there's two parts. A, uh, uh, for us to go to that level, we need to feel that, you know what, the market is big and we have some sizable share of the market in, in the financial services industry so that we can spread our wings in the other direction. Um, and also uh, now, right, because of the credibility that we have built and we do the same things over and over again, it's the sales cycles are lesser. Right. The Customers trust us faster, and, and we are able to uh, generate good quality of outcomes in limited period of time. So I guess um, that's the thing that stops us from trying to experiment in the other industry. But yeah. yeah, in terms of uh, applicability, the, yes, there is a lot of applicability of what we do in the other areas as well. Got it, got it. So Vijay, how, how are you funding your venture right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we got some government grants and uh, we had, uh, uh, we just have raised uh, very, very small sums of money from uh, uh, a couple of acceleration programs. We are a Techstars company, so Techstars mm-hmm. pumped in some money, and then Numa pumped in some money. So these are the only two stakeholders in us. Then um, uh, we got government grants in Chile, Portugal, and uh, family, friends, and fools put some money <laughs> in the initial part. So we were very lucky not to raise a lot of money. Uh, we are funding ourselves by the revenues. So we are yeah, I was going to say, what a great way to do it. <laughs> Thank you. Right? Uh, it may not be a cool way to do it, but we believe <laughs> it's a very good way to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the fundamentals. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, that's what we are the boring people with, like, a solid fundamentals, nothing uh, <laughs> experimental or crazy about us. Yeah, so uh, yeah. a lot of people might consider us less cool. So be it. <laughs> yeah, so be it, right? <clears throat> we, we are not this uh, real estate company. It was yeah, valued at $40 billion and just blew up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> precisely. And our, neither are we a taxi company claiming to be a tech company. We do real tech. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, that's, that's really cool. I think very few uh, companies, but there's a trend, I'm sure. Um, I'm a big fan of... Um, a company that you might have heard of called Basecamp, 37 Signals. Um, those guys talk about, you know, less is more and keeping it small, not just going crazy with VC funding just because you want to grow big. Uh, they're a $100 million company, um, you know, um, doing project management and a bunch of other cool software. Uh, I think that their, you know, recommendation for startups is if you can defer taking VC funding forever, just do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, if you look at the, the current large players, right? I mean, uh, uh, whether it's Microsoft or your uh, Oracles or your 
Uh, Facebook didn't take a lot of VC money before um, they became what they became. They are, I mean, like, you know, uh, it's it's a trend, right? I mean, uh, the trends necessarily are, they're cool, but they may not be correct. And that's what yeah. uh, we are seeing uh, in, in general now. The trend is uh, maybe, maybe two years later, we will have a different conversation. They're like, oh, you were so smart ahead of times. You didn't, <laughs> right? So, yeah. uh, I mean, catching the trend, uh, if it works for you, good. If it doesn't work for you, uh, please don't do that, right? I mean, yeah. you take cognizance of that and, and then decide it for yourself. Yeah. Vijay, so far, everything you've, we've talked about looks like hunky-dory. Can you share any dark moments that you felt like we're done? I think we should... Yeah, I was trying to hide that for a long, but you got me again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll tell you. Uh, so recently, I put a tweet across there, uh, which uh, read something like this, right? The difference between uh, an early-stage startup and somewhat stable startup is that the number of highs and lows you have uh, for an early-stage startup is alternate days. And for us, it's alternate weeks, right? <laughs> it's like, uh, it, it's like, there's just too many down. Uh, it's, it's part of, it's so integrated. So I don't even want to talk about it, but yeah, let me give you some anecdotes. So there is a, a few instances where we lost uh, some of the customer projects owing to our own stupidity. And, uh, um, and it's very disappointing, right? You, you potentially expect a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue and it, it, you get zero after working hard for that long. Um, then you probably like, you know, what you do is like, there, you have two options, either uh, vent the frustration on your team, which is never a good idea. Or the other is take a step back, review and do things better the next time around. So yeah, losing customer projects uh, where things are promising is a, it's a big downer has happened a few times. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, people quitting at uh, interesting moments and you feel a little uh, deserted. That has happened, and then we were able to cope up with it. Uh, these are the two primary uh, downers. Then uh, uh, one more thing in the enterprise B2B game is uh, people don't pay on time, right? Some of yeah. the largest companies don't pay on time, and uh, it, it could kind of squeeze out the resources. Then, like, you know, you're living a minimalist lifestyle. Uh, again, unless you have those 10 or 12 customers and a little more stability, these are, uh, I think, things which are bound to happen to any entrepreneur. So nothing special, but yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I don't believe things have been always hunky-dory. It's like, <laughs> we've gone through the grind. I mean, uh, we've taken the thousand beats before we acquired some shape. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you deal with that kind of loneliness at those low points? Do you have any uh, tactics or routines that you do? Like yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I uh, do a little bit. I try to uh, kind of like, you know, uh, take a 15 minutes uh, time for some introspection and uh, calm music to uh, make myself a little bit uh, regulated on a mental level. And then uh, I try to uh, read things that gives me motivation, right? I mean, I, I, I like to read stuff that uh, gives me some kind of positive energy. It could be as simple as your teenage stories are as complicated as your philosophers like uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti yeah. and uh, all those complicated stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to read something that gives me aspirations and positivity. Uh, more importantly, uh, you, uh, so this is the problem with the founder journey is very lonely, right? I mean, uh, not only in terms of downtime, but also when, uh, so we had a, amazing news coming in, right? I was in California and my team was based uh, in Bangalore, India. And, and uh, uh, some of them were in Europe. So uh, I got a great news at California time, four o'clock in the evening. 
I wanted to share it. I had absolutely no one. I was like, you know, what do I do? Go to a bar and get a beer alone? No, it is, it is really annoying, right? So uh, I, I think uh, that is That's the thing. Not only the lows, but the highs also. You need yeah, to it is hard. It is very, I mean, I guess, think about the highest times you are not able to call your family or friends yeah. or you by yourself. You're like, <laughs> the hell happened to me just now. So yeah, something like that. Uh, true, I guess. So uh, I guess I, I've been very lucky to have a co-founder who's not just a co-founder, but a friend with whom I can say stuff in a very personal way. And he's always there to listen. Uh, uh, he's also uh, kind of like, you know, we try to uh, be each other's counselors, help each other out. I guess it's very important. And then there are some mentors and friends, uh, the cohorts of uh, tech stars, some founders who yep. have been of great help. So you always live by the cohort. You know the people who know this journey, right? Yeah. If you talk to somebody on the outside, they don't get it. So you need to know somebody who actually gets it and lives by it and probably has lived through the sucky times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a roller coaster for sure. Um, uh, how, how do you, switching gears a little bit about your, how do you think about your competition? How do you think about, like these big multi-billion dollar companies who have invested a lot in NLP and image recognition and voice and whatnot? Uh, so uh, let me put it this way. It, it would worry me tremendously if there was no competition, right? That means uh, uh, either we were the geniuses, uh, we were the only people doing it, but that doesn't seem right. <laughs> then we would be the idiots doing the wrong things and that would scare me a lot. So uh, it's a good thing that there is a competition and that keeps us uh, posted. In fact, today I was... Uh, on a negotiation call with one of our customers and they said like we have three options and you're probably the third option give us the best deal <laughs> right <laughs> so <laughs> i said no i mean take the other two if you think they are better than us but the, so that gives us like you know the competition is a good thing it's not a bad thing so uh one thing i would uh, tell any founder listening to this is don't worry about the competition just make sure there is competition and you know what they're doing but don't uh, frame your strategies based on what they are doing, how much money they have, and what kind of marketing they do. I guess if you do a good job, and especially in the B2B context, if you're able to genuinely deliver the value, make sure you deliver real value, and, and the customers uh, do like you, and the cust most customers are reasonable. They're not unreasonable. It, yep. It's all about delivering the value, uh, I mean, and, and do it faster, do it cheaper, do it better, and and know the customer's pain points and work with them. So I'm sure sometimes you will win, sometimes your competitors win, but that's the nature of business. Uh, but keep in mind, I mean, for us specifically, the market is so big uh, that there is no one large fish which could eat all the like, you know, meat in the world. Like there, it has to be distributed. So the market is big enough for multiple players to exist. So you could see them as competitors on some occasions, but sometimes you will be operating in a green field. There wouldn't be any competitors because there is sufficient uh, resources for everybody. So I think that's my viewpoint and that's be working out pretty well for us. Like you said, I mean, there's, it's, it's a big market. It's not a limited pie. You're expanding the pie as well with newer innovations. Absolutely. And um, so how, how big is the company, Vijay, right now? Uh, it, it, we are a team of 24 people right now. Uh, we will uh, hopefully be able to hire eight more people uh, by end of this year. That's the plan. And earlier next year, we are going to have uh, our team expanded in Europe as well. 
um, because we have some solid contracts coming up in Europe and uh, it's about time we build our customer success teams in Europe and North America as well. So next year is going to be mostly our international expansion. Uh, it's good. Yeah, and I, again, uh, I, I uh, don't necessarily agree with the size of team as a, a factor to measure, right? You don't need a lot of people because uh, it just, what, 15, 20 people had built Instagram? <laughs> so yep. we, we, we live in a very different world we, uh, today. So size of team is certainly a good, uh, a healthy indicator of uh, how stable the company is, but not probably not the only parameter on which you measure the company's success or anything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then taking this vision forward, uh-huh. what do you see as your uh, moonshot? I, I would ideally want to see this, right? Like, so uh, what we sell ultimately is the productivity gain, right? I mean, mm. whether we do it through AI, NLP, that's, that's regardless. So where we are seeing a bottleneck is uh, still customers have to depend on us for training the data. For building more complicated models, I would expect an ideal machine to be built out in which the customers have to do limited training. If they do it, they'd have to do it visually, not by entering stuff in your Excel sheets or any other data models. And uh, if they do it visually a few times, the system is clever enough to learn and help them give a working model. They should be able to test it, uh, uh, deploy it themselves, and have have it in production themselves. So eliminating the so right now we have eliminated the six to eight months efforts to uh, six to, we made it six to eight weeks i would like to see in an ideal world that efforts being reduced to six to eight hours which means yeah. uh you can have automation uh, cognitive automation at massive scale and companies become more and more productive <laughs> that that's the ultimate moonshot i would have in mind <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, just to, that's, that's, that's awesome. Just to wrap up in the last, I mean, I wanted to ask you a few quick three, four rapid fire questions. You don't have to answer them rapidly. <laughs> I would never, I would never, I would, I would not want to walk into the trap. <laughs> no, just, just no, no trap, basic questions. Um, do you have any uh, favorite books that you have gifted to people? Oh, I mean, you're a big I- reader. Uh, I am. I am. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, there are just quite a few. There is one by Ray Dalio. It's called The Principles. The Principles, yeah. I love it. Uh, that's one of the books I've uh, gifted to a few people. Uh, I've gifted, uh, I mean, so uh, I, I read the two kinds of books. One is the self-help kind of, the, uh, the ones that uh, are motivating you. And the other ones are just like, you know, pastimes, like, you know, they mean nothing, right? I mean, they yep. just, you read it for fun on the, on the fly. Uh, there's one more book called, uh, I think I forgot the author, uh, but it's a very popular book called Our Iceberg is Melting. It's a small mm. fable. I, I loved it. It's like you could read that book in an hour and, and anybody reading it would really appreciate it. And then there's this old classic book a friend of mine had given, uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Uh, I enjoyed that book a lot. I, I presented multiple copies of this book to people. Wow, yeah. great, great, great. Um, yeah, I don't know two of the three. I'll look them up. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you could write, this is probably a, a crazy one. If you could write something on uh-huh. a full moon that uh-huh. the whole world can see, what would you write? Oh, I would put our logo up there. <laughs> That's so egoistic of me, but I would love to get some marketing there. Anyway, our marketing efforts are low. So I would put our logo up there. <laughs> Sprite.ai. Huh? Your logo. Cool. Cool. That's, you take every opportunity to 
to uh, spread the word around. Uh, know, knowing what you know now, if you were to advise your younger self, uh-huh. what would you advise? Um, okay, businesses work more Business on work. relationship as well as on human factors. Uh, you may think that your your technology is the greatest thing, and that's what companies are buying. You you should be clever enough to understand why they are buying, what they are buying, and who they are buying from. And you need to sell that what they are buying. If they are buying operational productivity, you you shouldn't be selling AI. You should be selling only operational productivity. I guess that's something I would tell my younger self, so that it would have saved me a lot of time and efforts on so many things, and also it would have made me more focused on. Uh, knowing the customer journeys uh, in depth and in a more, uh, in a compassionate way, right? I mean, you need to em- empathize with the customer. You need to know their pain points rather than saying, hey, you know, my technology is awesome. Please use it. And I'm like, no, this is something I know that you have this pain point. I'll alleviate your pain point. So I think that's something uh, because technology is an enabler. It's not right. a solution. A solution is something different. And if people are seeking solutions, provide them that instead of uh, focusing on the enabler, which is technology. I think that's one advice I would like to give the younger self. Perfect. Yeah. I think uh, putting yourself in their shoes and talking their language and their makes a lot of sense. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Vijay. I think uh, really this has been a tremendous 45 minutes. I really appreciate your time. I wanted to uh, uh, end with if couple of things. One, if uh, you wanted to say anything that we didn't touch on um, that you wanted to bring up, as a parting words to our listeners. Uh, oh, okay. My parting words to the listeners is, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I hope uh, this is motivating enough for you to think about certain things. Uh, it, 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 uh, perhaps my best takeaway would be if you go ahead and uh, make an attempt uh, uh, or give it a shot to start up something, even it could be your side project, right? I mean, uh, kind of put it in a framework and uh, try something and see if it works. If it works, Maybe let me know. I will be happy to help you in some ways I can. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Segue to if people wanted to be in touch with you after this, what's the best way? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, people are welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, uh, once they connect with me on LinkedIn, they could ask me for my email or phone number. I'm happy to share. I respond to 100% of the requests. Uh, if people want any kind of help from me, I, I mentor at a few programs, including the Techstars Paris, Techstars Bangalore. So uh, happy to help uh, uh, any upcoming entrepreneurs in whatever ways I can, right? From, uh, I know only a few things now, okay? The legal part of it, I know. <laughs> I know how to deal with people. Uh, don't ask me tech help. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but uh, happy to help you in whatever ways I can. <laughs> <laughs> 